Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is not a diving podcast. Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Okay, today I've got a really sore throat. I can barely talk. It really hurts. And also, my power supply on my laptop seems to have broken and I'm rapidly running out of battery. So I'm going to keep this very, very brief. Today on the show, we have Shifted. Now, Shifted is a former member of Comics, the highly respected and highly storied drum and bass group who were prominent in the 2000s, after which he left to start a techno project, which was called Shifted. So Guy Brewer, to use his real name, joins us today in his guise, I guess, mostly as Shifted, but as you will hear, other things too. Now, you may be familiar with the term business techno, which I discussed with Surgeon, amongst other people, and Dave Clark, actually, as well. Guy coins the term business techno. It's all down to him. So (laughs) he's acquired some cultural significance other than his music in doing that. And the kind of wider phenomenon of the commodification, if I can put it like that, the commercialization of that side of the dance scene is a really interesting one, actually. And it covers lots of different aspects and it's developed quite significantly since he first made that comment, since he first coined that term. So yeah, we talk about that stuff and lots more besides this week, right? So as I said, I'm not gonna go on today because it hurts. So I'm going to write a bunch of stuff in the show notes about the Patreon and about other stuff to do with Guy and about other stuff to do with the show. So have a look at those show notes because they're more extensive than usual this week. And without further delay, here is Shifted. Shifted, welcome to the show. How are you doing, Guy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. This has been a little, little while in the making this one yes right it's uh it's been one of those things like it's always um something going on but um we're here we've worked it out finally totally totally so um okay wanted to kick off with uh okay so <laughs> you are the originator of the business techno term are you not yes it's like my dubious contribution to uh to the scene for better or for worse so yeah so what was it you know what did you say to to coin it and then what did you mean by it in the first place um well i guess like it was something that actually me and james sire who you also know obviously because he's done records for you in the past etc we just used to it was around the point and i guess i guess this was like 2014 15 and me and james were playing a lot of these like big dutch festivals and actually it it kind of 
it was before business techno was like really a thing or like before it became as kind of like huge as it is now or like was certainly a few years ago because it does seem to have died down a little bit or at least it's not as visible as it was at a certain point we'd go away to these festivals and you'd always have like one stage where you'd be playing kind of like I suppose the sort of techno that I'm more associated with and then there'd always be a bigger stage like you know on the same festival site with like pyrotechnics and you know like the 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 huge production values and just like this kind of like the sound of like hammering kind of relentless techno stuff that um that would just seem to be a completely different world and we just kind of came up with this name for it and i can't remember who it was i think it was truncate but we tweeted something and i i just replied and uh yeah this is what it was it was like oh kind of like you know i think techno is becoming like the new tech house and i suppose like i wanted wanted to sort of differentiate between what we were involved in and that type of sound that was definitely becoming very like predominant and huge around that time and i was like well no like business techno is becoming the new tech house and i i kind of forgot about it completely um and like no one really paid any attention to it at the time and then i think someone from resident advisor picked up on it was obviously like amused by the term um and they i'm not going to say who it was but they basically like attached it to a review of a a sort of business techno 12 inch that had come out around that time and it just it stuck basically um and yeah now it's become the sort of like go-to term like to describe that world basically so was it like primarily a music thing it like initially i mean as well as you were um, like thinking about it as you were talking to james about kind of thing was that was it i mean it sounds like it was a combination of factors but like how much of it was the musical difference i mean it's kind of slim because you can have something that's kind of very reduced and like just down to its kind of bare elements, just like kind of slamming kind of rhythm track. And that can be very interesting, but I suppose it's the kind of the world around it, the aesthetic that surrounds it. Um, And I suppose more than that, like the, the intention. And I think like intention counts for, a lot with this music and like the the stuff that i was describing it it feels more like music as or releases as a vehicle to to push a career stuff that's made to just kind of generate bookings and like is kind of easy for people to easy for the masses to get into let's say uh and it does sort of like i suppose it just encapsulates that entire thing basically just pushing fees big festivals large stages um big production values but maybe kind of like lacking in not maybe definitely lacking in in nuance and i think certainly with with techno like i say like the kind of differences between like a business techno track and 
something more interesting can be quite small and it is very very often down to kind of like intent and aesthetic and like how things are processed and the kind of hooks that people are using like these kind of like big acid whiffs or whatever and like you know like you can take the same palette and come up with something that can be you know very interesting but this this stuff that we were hearing a lot was definitely kind of like not really yeah, I mean, I think what you're referring to is, I mean, was was a very specific kind of combination of those things, right? So it's a, it was a quite a defined music aesthetic there, com- like with the addition of, um, as you said, like the, in, the the very obvious intention to do something commercial with that. I mean, I've talked about the definition of commercial music on the show before, and like I think my my best definition is something which is made with the specific intention of a, some sort of financial gain, right? Whether it's shifting units or getting the bookings or whatever, like that to me is like that's commercial music, right? So if there's if there's such a thing as commercial techno, it's it's exactly that right yeah exactly it's just like when you kind of take all the kind of artistic the urge to be artistic the urge to kind of like push yourself as a producer out of things and when the conversations are solely around maximizing uh how much you can earn maximizing like your social media presence and this is something that i've kind of i think this kind of thing always existed and i I think Perhaps the reason why we were talking about it more and perhaps the reason why a kind of certain set of producers became more vocal about it is it started to eat up everything around it as well. There was this kind of certain wave of these producers that maybe started off doing things that were more artistically valid and saw the way things were heading and decided to cash out and definitely kind of a wave of producers that just kind of realized that as a formula um it started to work much better than than the tech house stuff does and actually kind of when you kind of look at the you look at these kind of reels that are now kind of all over instagram and tiktok or whatever they've kind of co-opted stuff that was very kind of attached to that whole kind of like Berlin Bergheim aesthetic, basically like the all black clothes, the kind of like BDSM light aesthetic, you know, like the, the dark room stuff, all of that stuff has just been kind of like co-opted and now kind of rolled into this, like this sort of behemoth that's kind of swallowed up a lot of what was around it. And like the kind of, that kind of, big room techno sound definitely existed before uh it was always there but like i think the reason why it started to become problematic for someone like myself is just because it just ate the culture around it too yeah i mean i think there's a couple of things there so first of all just the increasing dominance of festivals in the overall dance landscape i think that kind of environment really encourages from a musical perspective anyway that sort of uh that sort of approach but it also um opens the door to you know just wildly inflated fees and the kind of corrupting influence that goes around that right 
so those two kind of things are kind of sort of fanning the flames of each other right which kind of just i mean and which kind of just draws in ever more like aspirant participants if i can put it like that you know like yeah no no i think that's probably the the, the perfect way to to sum it up and like like i say like it kind of a everything around it i would say that it's kind of all fucking business techno now to be honest and like this is something that i've talked about with friends it's hard to draw a line between it because so much of of what these people were doing during those early stages of business techno whatever you want to call it like it's now just become across the board like an example like when i first moved to berlin which i think was like the end of 2010 the conversations that i was having everyone was talking about the music everyone was digging everyone was obsessed by trying to push their sound and like take it somewhere more interesting and like these were the conversations that I was having with people like when I'd see when I bump into people like on the road or like you'd meet up with someone for a coffee or whatever and like it didn't take too long I'd just say like a few years I would say like maybe like 2014 2015 like everyone just started talking about like okay so how many like at the time it was MySpace and then Instagram how many followers do you have like how much people are earning like this kind of like jealousy of like, Oh, this person's earning X amount. This person's earning like another amount. Like what can I do to try and add another 500 or 1000 euros onto my booking fee? Like what flight status do you have? Have you got fucking a Senator pass? Have you got like a platinum card for this or that? And it just became so vapid and i think it's something that like sucked almost everybody in and it's impossible not to be sucked in when this is the climate that you're around and i i'm not going to mention any names but even people that i had like so much respect for to start off with and like they were really pushing things let's say around the end of the 2000s like 2008 to 2010 there was this wave of like very interesting stuff happening within techno again and it was pulling from other genres and like you could hear minimal and you could hear like drum and bass and you could hear like dub and whatever dubstep being kind of infused into something very new and very exciting musically. Even these people within a few years, like you start earning on a certain level and that becomes very comfortable. And it becomes just about trying to maintain that and like better it basically. And I think you start to forget like, why you are actually drawn into this in the first place. It just becomes about ticking boxes. And like you say, it kind of attracts a very kind of like aspirational class to the industry. It attracts. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if I can just jump in there, like I think uh, the, the corrupting nature of just the riches, which are, which became possible yeah. in that 
periods because prior to that no i mean obviously people were getting you know making a great living out of djing but it really got turbocharged i think after 2010 and sort of like into the kind of mid 2010s like the the money the kind of edm money essentially started getting spread around that much more and it was just possible for people playing quote unquote techno to be getting six figure fees and that is just like when people look at that from outside uh, and it's allied to like Instagram in particular, I was going to say social media, but it really is Instagram, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it just creates this feeding frenzy around this kind of honeypot. You know, that's a mixed metaphor, but like kind of, but you know, it just is a corrupting force upon what was previously to that a fairly, well, I mean, as you said, there's always been, you know, problems with music but like prior to that a fairly pure music scene right that i think those things really had an extremely negative effect as you've just been saying yeah absolutely um i mean it might be sustainable from a kind of a financial point of view but like where it becomes unsustainable is it's reflected in the music itself it's things just start to become a copy of a copy of a copy and like distilled down into something that it's not reaching for anything new. It's just ticking boxes basically like, and like, yeah, I mean, you've already had that. And like, I spent a long time in, in drum and bass before and like exactly the same thing happened there. Basically you have like a wave of very interesting productions and then you get all the kind of people that, perhaps aren't pushing the envelope so much and are kind of like feeding from much more talented producers just start making clones of those tracks. And then you get a clone of that clone and a clone of that clone. And before you know it, it's becomes extremely vapid. And I think like the social media thing in particular has accelerated that. And like, Whereas in the past, you might get a scene, a scene might be able to exist for five years before this starts happening. This now happens in a, a year or two years, basically. It just spreads out like wildfire. Like the, the tools to make the records are so much more accessible, which is obviously a good thing on one side as well. The kind of, I mean, if you go on YouTube now, these kind of like painting by numbers, like, how to make a, a business techno track, how to replicate the Bergheim sound, how to do this, how to do that. And it's, I mean, I can understand that if you're a long way away from where this music is made and if you're young and you're just trying to get started out, having this stuff accessible can be a positive thing. And I'm sure it's led to some, some good producers coming through as well. But it's also led to a lot of this just kind of like, vapid music made with no real intent other than to further the career and to further the ego and to inflate the bank balance of of people that perhaps should be doing something else yeah i mean i mean you, you mentioned there that it's good that these tools are widely available but but actually i mean you just give an example about why it's, it's not necessarily all good right and and is it good is something that i've really asked myself quite a, a lot especially recently and especially with the you know the advent of ai tech coming into music as well like is it actually good that it's easier to make this stuff because i mean 
purely at a creative level, um, having limitations and being forced to work around the limitations of your your setup really can lead yield the most interesting results, right? So so if, so if everything like one hundred sure. So so if everything is just available, you know, if if basically getting a copy of Ableton can enable you to make basically anything which has been made previously like is that good i mean i'm not convinced that it is to be honest yeah and i think just like when you're not presented with like a kind of like step-by-step approach of how to do something and like broken down into you know bite-sized chunks of like you know like how to kind of get the rumble kick or whatever they call it i don't know it's pretty cringe but like you just kind of like forced to to work these things out on your own and by doing that and by experimenting you lead yourself into new territory um and certainly that is to do with limitation as well and like certainly it's the same with like i think every time i get a new bit of studio gear like it puts me back a few steps and you you need to kind of like spend real time with something even if it's a, a plug-in you have to spend time with it and like like work out your way of using it like how how is this gonna work for you how are you gonna like apply this to to your trade how is it gonna slot into your workflow basically and i think certainly when things are just kind of like broken down for you and i think obviously there are some people that are watching this stuff and they they take what they can from it and they they apply it to their creative method. But there are also people that are just copying this stuff, like, you know, step by step, and then being like, oh, I've got like four tracks. It's time for me to start my techno career, basically. Boom, set up an Instagram account, maybe buy some followers. And like beyond even that, there's there's also people that are are not even doing that. They're just kind of like watching what is successful. Like, how has this person made it? Okay, so they've they put out like several 12 inches that all kind of like follow a certain formula. They're on socials all the time. They're posting selfies or whatever constantly. This works. So instead of actually doing the hard bit, which is kind of learning your craft you're just like getting someone else to do it instead yeah i mean i think i think that such as the ubiquity of these of this stuff and you know such as the ease at which you can make something which is good enough to play in a rave i think i think the music's already been devalued really substantially and you can see it by the kind of people who are getting DJ sets getting booked now you know it's like you don't get booked primarily now as a result of music you've made you just don't you know, it's like, it's just like, it's not a, it just doesn't work like that. You know, the relationship between the two things has completely changed. I was having a conversation about this yesterday with a, a mutual friend of ours and, you know, refl- both reflecting that it doesn't really matter if you make a massive tune. It doesn't matter to your diary anyway. You know, it's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't have that effect anymore. And I think that's because there is so much music, which is fine and so much music, which is you know, like I said, good enough to play in a rave and get a good reaction in a rave. Um, that, I mean, a particular kind of rave, perhaps, but like nonetheless, you know, and I think that 
this has already happened to a large extent. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned previously that the business techno has been replaced by something else. And certainly in the business techno, the incarn, the original incarnation of it anyway. But I think like the, um, uh, one, one of the things that has been replaced by is the sort of co-option of the perfectly laudable move to get more women and you know, people of colour and you know, just a wider diversity of people playing in raves. That's been sort of taken up by this like <laughs> capitalist force and kind of packaged into oh, some yeah. yeah, and just packaged into this thing now, which is which has just taken over to a large extent a lot of what previously used to be a relationship between music and 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 DJ bookings. I mean, is that fair? No, I'd say so. Um, and as you say, like it was one hundred percent necessary, and it's led to some incredible producers coming through and. It was such a boys club for so long and it really did need to change. And I, I 100% like know where the drive came from. But yeah, it has been absolutely just kind of like used by people with bad intentions, be it management or booking agents have just realized what sells at a certain time. And, and obviously artists as well. Um, this kind of influencer culture has kind of bled over into it and they've kind of realized that actually like what kind of feeds the algorithm is a pretty face a good looking face and like and it's it's definitely not just women it definitely isn't and sometimes like i'll catch even like friends of mine sort of like complaining about this person or that person and uh, mate, like some of the most cringe things I've seen on Instagram or whatever, uh, they they come from men as well. Like it, it's across the board. It's really like not you can't just kind of say, oh, like since since women sort of like became very um, marketable within the scene, everything changed. No, it didn't. It's like it, it's got nothing to do with if someone is gay or straight, man, woman, black, white. I mean, it's it's the intent behind it. And there's so many, so many women or so many minorities that have come through and like given something like special to the, to the music and something individual to the music. And this is all about, I think it really like music is, or should be a kind of a reflection of like experience and like what you've gone through in your life. Like, I mean, if, if you've had an easy road or you've had like one particular road, like you kind of put that into your music. You've had a hard life. You put that into your music. It's, it's art. And like having different voices contributing to that, like can only be a positive thing. But like, as you say, it's, it's how it's been co-opted by this kind of like behemoth industry. And like, I say this a lot, like I love electronic music. Like there, there's nothing else like it to me. And there hasn't been since I first like became obsessed by it in like the the mid nineties when I was like fifteen, sixteen. But I hate the industry. I absolutely loathe it with like with a passion. Like the kind of the, the hangers on, the kind of leeches that kind of take something so pure and monetize it and just use it as a a tool for their own financial gain. And this is like beyond the artists. I think even more it's, it's the, 
it's the industry around it. It's the management. It's the bookers. It's the press. It's the press agents. It's a feeding frenzy, mm. basically. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to the idea of uh, like working the algorithm. I think there's like there's a, there's a couple of different things there. So I think the the diversity thing, which has absolutely been commodified, I think, into um, ticking boxes on lineups, basically, and how that affects like distorts the kind of market but then like you said there's this kind of like image thing as well which rewards everyone regardless including straight white guys so just looking good and having that kind of like image hook if you want to draw people in has really become almost the most important thing and that applies to anyone who's trying to participate in this so if you don't have the like, kind of image hook then it, life becomes a lot more difficult in, in kind of breaking through so, like, I had the the term business techno memes written down in my notes because, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think you, you did touch on this briefly, but I mean, it's it's a real kind of it's, it's almost a cliche at this point. But like, the business techno institute Instagram is genuinely funny, but it just seems to have caught the imagination of quite a lot of people who are you know participants in the scene, right? So there's a really high degree of cynicism around all this stuff. And I think actually including from a lot of the people who go to those big festivals and kind of like actually participate in that side of the scene too. So, I mean, I mean, how do you explain, I mean, do you agree with that? And how do you explain it? So just the way that it's been kind of picked up in, in kind of like meme format and these like accounts and stuff. I mean, I guess like people are still able to laugh at themselves. I guess some people are anyway. And like, even if you kind of disagree with this stuff, like inherently, even if you're kind of like, I suppose, on the same side of the fence as you or I, you can't help but play that game anyway. Because, I mean, to to exist like within, within this scene, there is like a certain amount of that that you have to do trying to trick the algorithm. I mean, you hear people talking about that a lot and I'm kind of like not sure like how, how valid it is really. This kind of like oh you need to you need to post a picture of yourself first blah 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 and I think there are very few people that I, I think I think a lot of people that say that are just frustrated by their lack of engagement yes, generally speaking yeah, yeah. and actually it's got more to do with their own their own careers than anything else totally and I think like the the people that the people that don't have to do that you can probably list them on like one hand there are like very few producers that are so talented that it just speaks above it all. And I think there's still stuff like that coming through. There are still people that shun that entire thing and say, you know what? I'm like, I'm not even going to engage in it. I'm not even going to have an Instagram account. And I can literally list them on, on one hand, but they are, they do still exist. And I, I do think that like that kind of like undeniable, talent there's still a place for that it still exists it's still out there and i i still think it exists within the new generation and that's something that i hear a lot like oh like the new the next generation just don't understand and like actually like it's just the sort of the more basic end of it that kind of get sucked into this basically you're always going to have kids that go to these these 
mega raves basically and they want to hear like certain names because their friends have said it's cool or they've seen it on tiktok or whatever and then you're always going to have kids that want to seek out something different that want to be individual and stand out from the crowd and i and I, i suppose that's coming back to like this kind of like this kind of meme aspect of it basically i suppose that's what's feeding that i mean there are still kids that that can smell bullshit when they smell it and i think that's kind of it's obviously important and it's it's good to see like every time i see i'm like blown away by like a really young producer's music i'm like well thank god basically thank god that people like you still exist but there's still people like sitting in their bedrooms by actually trying to push themselves and actually like trying to do something individual and not just being like, Oh, this is what you need to do to kind of get big. I need to tick this box. I need to tick this box. And like, Oh, I've got my first EP. Like now I should have a manager. I mean, there's even like EPs about, um, there's even like, um, memes about that. Basically these kind of like production memes where you've got like someone like they've like programmed their first like four, four kick drum. And it's like, Whoa, better fine management. And it's like, that's that's really what it feels like sometimes it's like trying to sort of jump the steps in the in the most kind of like just yeah literally just try, trying to jump over all these little stages that you have to go through basically you have to make like a hundred really bad tracks before you start finding your voice before you start like hitting on something that's like uniquely you and i the fact that you can bypass that now is is the real problem. And like, even producers that have been around a long time, and like, I understand it when you when you've put in like a year of your life into making a record and you put it out and like, it's just like no engagement. No one really seems to care. <laughs> and then like you'll see someone else yeah. and they've, they've, they've posted a selfie with a list of their shows for the month and it's like 10,000 likes and it, it can be disheartening but you have to you have to remember that like the, the music is still out there the, the people that you want to be listening to it are still listening to it and like something that I've done recently like for my own mental health is I've just muted everyone. I do, I don't need to see it. I don't need to know how many shows this person is playing, what they're doing. I will find the music anyway, because I constantly search for music. Like you don't need to be hammered with that because number one for your mental health, secondly, for your creativity, just to kind of like, to have like an actual realistic outlook on things because these same people that you're like kind of probably kind of looking at their social media posts and feeling like jealous over, they're probably having some of the same problems that you do. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a question about uh, the, the, just the concept of music, not getting traction online, but other things are peripheral to music actually doing pretty well. So, um, I mean, do you think that, well, do you agree that music generally has been 
devalued. And I don't mean music, the music scene. I don't mean everything, everything around music. I mean music itself. Do you think that uh, it's somehow worth less to people now than it was maybe, say, let's let's just say 20 years. Yeah. But prior to... Na- I mean, Napster's the obvious kind of like line in the sand. But I mean, you know, to maybe talking about the period that we're talking about since 2010 or whatever. I mean, of course. I mean, I remember when when digital music first started kind of rearing its head when people started downloading mp3s and uh and wavs like instead of buying records and like i mean i was still making drum and bass at the time and i remember people being like oh this is it it's over basically like and now actually like i think back to the days where where people were still downloading stuff and that feels like a sort of like a golden era almost in terms of like what, what you were able to, to make financially and like sustain yourself, um, on a financial level from your music that, that actually feels like a bygone time. I mean, Christ, I wish I could go back there, but now like you literally, you pay your like 20 euros a month or whatever it is for your Spotify account and you've got everything. And like, and now you start reading about this kind of technology starting to kind of bleed into clubs as well. And before you know it, like you won't even need to buy music to, to go and play it in a, in a nightclub. Like you'll just have, you know, directly streaming onto CDJs and you'll have like literally everything accessible to you. And where do we go from there? Because I mean, the people that are still buying like the more dance for avian stuff or like, you know, anything kind of techno related now, I mean, most of the people that buy it are doing so to DJ it. And certainly coming from a scene like ours, where I would say that actually maybe 60% of the audience in certain clubs are kind of aspiring producers or DJs themselves. I think well, that would be fair to say. Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Yeah, I'd never really thought about that. But you, yeah, you must be right. I'm not sure. Yeah, sixty percent seems a bit high, maybe. But certainly, yeah, it's a, it's a very significant yeah, number. Totally. Right? I mean, yeah, a significant number. I mean, you're playing to people that have aspirations themselves. It's not like you know, being in a being in a band where you have your kind of like core fan base basically, and like you know, a few of them might be aspiring musicians as well. I suppose it goes back to to what we were saying earlier on about the kind of it, it seems doable for someone, and even like I remember being sixteen and like going and seeing like Optical or I don't know whoever any of those like Metalheads guys, whatever. And I'd look at them and I'd be like, well, they they look a bit like me, and, and it's like it doesn't seem so far away. It's not like this it's not like some huge pop star that feels completely unobtainable. It feels like an obtainable goal. It feels like something that you could be part of basically. And of course that's important to like, to push through the next generation of DJs and producers, but it does attract this kind of, this kind of aspirational thing that we just, that we touched on earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it's important for it to seem possible, but I also think it's important for there to be a couple of barriers to have to jump over to get there, right? And it feels to me that those barriers have just largely disappeared. And now you have just this, you know, <laughs> um, stampede of people, you know, whereby talking about, you know, that Metalheads era, like 
you couldn't just you had to get in a studio to make a track basically and if you really wanted to do it you could totally you totally could but it would take it takes some effort right and and just that just, it takes some takes some real work yeah 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 exactly but just that you know he's going to weed out so many people and so many bad actors who are just in it for a, a kind of quick buck kind of thing you know and i do i mean i'm, I'm really conscious about kind of moaning about the con yeah the current state of any kind of scene but i, I really do think that when, when any barrier to something gets taken away it's not by nef- definition good like quote unquote democratization is always seen as a good thing unambiguously good thing but i'm just not sure that it is all the time particularly with art you know mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. and i i actually think that as as i, I mean you can talk about this with wider than music basically like things have been democratized to a large extent, but I think that the the group of people that are able to to take advantage of this is kind of shrinking. You still have to be able to like put in the time, right? the kind of like uh, the shrinking of the of the middle classes um, has kind of accelerated this as well. You're now in the situation where to really be able to put a, substan- a substantial amount of time into your art and come up with something kind of individual and special, you need to you need to be able to put a lot of yourself into it. And like quite a lot of people just cannot afford to do so. And like people have been talking about this like Nepo baby thing recently. And I think this is something that exists within like everything, arts, music, this kind of influencer culture, like you're able to just kind of do nothing apart from kind of like hack away at whatever industry it is that you're that you want to get into i mean journalism is the is the is the big one there right isn't it journalism for sure totally like the, the the fashion industry um being able to be like an unpaid intern for a couple of years because your parents are able to you know pay for your rent or whatever like this is really a thing and like Certainly you can see like the the reflection of this within music as well. Like you just get more and more kind of middle-class white kids um, that are able to, to hammer away at it. Like, Oh, like dad, like I want to be a DJ, but I kind of like, I need to be like pace for some PR. Of course you can, darling. Here's the money basically. Like it's not, it's made it very easy. I would just, I would just, I would just jump in and say that actually, I mean, you're right to say that, you know, middle class people and rich people are disproportionately white. That's true. But if you look at the the people who have come through who are not white and also are not male, they're middle class too, right? (laughs) They're they're all like everyone doing this is is to some degree financially secure when they get in for the most part. Anyway, that's a generalization. But I think it's a, you know, what you're saying is true. Like the, the way the system is set up really you know it, it, it's almost a prerequisite to have some kind of you know money behind you when you get going and going back to the diversity thing like absolutely it was needed and absolutely it's a broadly speaking a good thing that it is that the progress has been made there but there's no diversity on economic class as far as i can see there's no there's been no progress there anyway like if anything it's got more pronounced that you know the people coming in are even more economically privileged than they were previously regardless of what their other kind of characteristics are i mean certainly if you look at some a lot of the scenes that came from the uk um it was working class music it was i'm thinking particularly about stuff like drum bass and dubstep and uh grime i think it's still kind of like hanging in there as like a kind of like a a working class outlet for creativity 
but these things always get co-opted and let's say for, for want of a better term whitewashed basically and kind of abused by by people that have a much easier road in life and are able to often push it to a more commercial and financially rewarding place because they have this kind of like support network behind them basically yeah and that support network is very financially literate right it knows how to do this stuff yeah 100 percent. so okay let, let me go back to um yeah the point you made about um when you hear a new track from a, a young producer that makes you think fuck yeah uh, which is a great feeling. It's always a great feeling. But I mean, a, a point that I've made or something that I've kind of tried to rationalise and tried to think about is whether there are sort of individual scenes, like groups of people. And like previously, this would tend to have been like geographically located. But like the way uh, everything is online now is, means I, th- I think it would, that's not necessarily a prerequisite of having a scene now. But I mean, have you noticed that happening at all? in the last few years like the kind of like new things springing up which are genuinely distinctive um within techno i i would not say that i have and i know what you're talking about like when you've got a kind of like a little crew of producers that are all kind of like trying to better each other basically there's a kind of like friendly competition going on between it and you can really feel it basically like a little bubble forms and like, not within techno, to be honest. And this is something, I mean, I've become kind of obsessed by stuff coming out of the UK again recently because I see more of that. There's more of this kind of like community feel. There's more experimentation going on from what I can see. And there does, yeah, it does seem to be more kind of like crew-based Um if you look at like like stuff coming out of Manchester, for instance, um, and stuff like on the periphery of that as well, like people like Black Cane or like Rainy Miller or like Space Africa, etc. It feels like a community, not so different from to use like another drummer bass example, not so different from what was happening in Bristol in the kind of mid to late nineties with people like Ronnie size and die crust, etc. Like it feels like a crew of guys that all know each other and like they collaborate and they feature on each other's tracks and like they seem to be pushing each other and it, it feels genuine actually. And I, I guess this comes back to what I was saying just about the intention I think the internet certainly has created a lot of people that are just like, it's all about them. And again, this comes about when I was talking about when I first arrived in Berlin, there definitely felt like there was this, this community angle to it. I remember like going and meeting up with a bunch of people in a bar and you'd have like, you know, literally like 10 producers, like kind of well-known producers all sitting around a table in Kreuzberg, having some beers and just like, talking about their music, talking about other people's music and being genuinely like excited for what would come next, basically. And that is, that just disappears. Right? Everyone kind of retreated into their own little bubble 
of like jealousy and frustration and like you you stop seeing that you you stop seeing it and like it's quite sad actually it's it's very sad because this was like to feel part of something to feel part of like a community that would that would push me to go in the studio it would be like you know, like I'd be like, hanging out with kind of like most obviously like my kind of like my good friends around that time. Like I'd go to see James Sire and he'd play me a bunch of new stuff and I'd be like, oh, damn, like, I need to get back to the studio. And like, it pushes you. Yeah, that's such a motivating factor, isn't it? It's that kind of friendly competition. Right? Yeah, like, oh, my friends made something sick. I need to do better than that. <laughs> yeah, totally. In a, in a completely positive way, right? In a, in a positive way, yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So kind of peripheral uh, question, which we've touched on actually as well, but with the sort of music tech developers, we talked, I mean, I mentioned Ableton before. I mean, I kind of made a, a wise generalization, a sort of general observation in an interview the other week where it sort of struck me that in the last 20 years, but broadly speaking, the last 20 years, most of the music tech development has has focused on making it easier to make make existing styles rather than making new sounds like is that is that something you broadly agree with um i'd say so i i have to say like i've not kept myself up to date on this whole ai movement and i think probably because i find it so depressing i've kind of like caught the odd thing about this kind of like ai drake and weekend track or whatever and like I've had sort of like disagreements with with friends about it when they've kind of like mentioned this stuff, and I've been like, "Yeah, it's fucking horrible." And they're like, "Oh, but don't you think it's kind of like, don't you think this is exciting?" Actually, no, I don't at all, in any way, shape, or form. I think it's like really the beginning of the end. I'm not sure. I like. I mean, I hope and pray that AI is not capable of human ingenuity and creativity in the same way and i think that if you are making kind of like formulaic by the numbers techno stuff without any kind of like character or nuance to it then you should be very afraid but if you are making something that is personal um and like undeniably you then i hope you don't have too much to be worried about I mean, like, when it comes to, I mean, you mentioned, like, the the tools that are available to do this, and I haven't delved into it that much. Um, I got something recently that I thought was quite interesting, which is basically just sort of, like, it's a a piece of software, it's a plug-in that basically makes AI drum sounds. So you you put in, like, some criteria uh, and just hit generate, and it comes up with, like, you know, a kick or a percussion sound or hi hats or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I saw, I, yeah, I saw, I saw that. Yeah, I haven't used it. Is it, is it any good? It's cool. It's interesting. And like, 
for me, like those kind of sounds are always, or any sound is really just a sort of a jumping board for, for creativity. Anyway, it's always going to be mangled and pushed somewhere else. And I just thought it was an interesting way to, to fill up my samplers with, with, uh, with new content basically to be manipulated and, and changed. I have to say I haven't used it as much as I thought I might. And I still think it's more fun to kind of sit there, be it on software or hardware or whatever, and actually make drum sounds yourself because the, the process is as enjoyable as the outcome really. And like you say, it kind of, I mean, it always leads you to somewhere else. Like you, you, you're not kind of like just presented with something. Uh, you're not presented with an easy route to something and like you will stumble upon things that you, you might not have even known you were looking for. Um, and I guess this can still happen within like generated AI sounds and like, I'm not a musician. I wouldn't be adverse to the idea of using something that comes up with generated melodic ideas, for instance. I don't think like there's that much difference between that and some of the processes that I use in the studio already. Like I'm, I use like hardware sequences that can just like generate random melodic content based on a scale and a certain amount of parameters like probability of a note occurring um you know like length of steps like key whatever basically i will use that quite often in the studio to come up with stuff and i think with those cases you you become more of a filter so it's still you. It's still you that decides what to record. Right? It's still you that decides how to edit that and how to place it around something. Um, so you just become like a sort of a conduit for, for what you're hearing. And I find that interesting. What I don't find interesting, and I think I saw a lot, I think it was Richard Devine posted something the other day on his Instagram, and it was literally just like, create sparse dark idm track basically um with polyrhythmic elements and it, it just like spat this thing out and i was like i hate to say it but it doesn't actually sound that bad and like it's just gonna carry on learning isn't it so like yeah it's it's something that maybe i've avoided going too much into because i'm I'm quite scared of it, really, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's nothing necessarily stopping anyone using these tools and any tool, frankly, from making something new, right? From making, you know, discovering, you know, making a track which defines a new genre. Do you know what I mean? That does happen occasionally, not very often these days, but it, there's absolutely no reason why a particular tool shouldn't be able to be used for that so I think it's more to do with or well I think it's a, a big part a big factor here is like going back to the the market and the influence of the market and like what the ex expectations of the audience are and what gets rewarded I think crucially 
you know, because it, it was once upon a time, um, you know, if you made something really, you know, distinctive and new and, and awesome, that would translate into something really tangible quite quickly. Not, I mean, not always, but sometimes, you know, quite often maybe. And I just wonder whether, you know, what we're talking about is kind of bigger market forces, I mean, particularly in techno, but I think in music generally, it's also true. I mean, I think like the the kind of development of, of genres or the lack thereof isn't just true in electronic music. It's not just true in techno. It's It's true, I think, basically everywhere in recorded music right now and has been for the last decade at least so that's almost like the bigger the more worrying factor i think for me it's like okay there's this there's new tools and and that's on the one hand a bit scary and particularly with the ai yeah you're absolutely right i mean that's that's i mean that's something which could destroy recorded music <laughs> generally speaking you know i mean that's it's only been around for 100 years it's like there's no reason why it's got to stay right but i, I do think that like you know the in terms of like what you or I do for a living, I think that the almost like the worst, the scarier thing is just the fact that the audience expectations are so narrow. And this comes back, I mean, you're always going to have people that will just kind of eat up your kind of like totally average, good enough music, basically. People that perhaps have like a, a passing flirtation with electronic music and they will go to some festivals for a few years between the ages of like, let's say like 17, 18 and 25. And, and then they will just drift off into kind of like, like normie life basically. And then you're always going to get people that this is going to become their, their passion and their everything and what makes them tick. And you have to draw the distinction there. Oh, I don't really care about the basic people, to be honest. I couldn't give a fuck. I mean, just let them get on with it. If they want to listen to like AI generated Drake or, you know, AI generated Cobasil, it makes no difference to me. I mean, I'll still be doing what I'm doing. And I really believe in the fact that there will always be a market. I hate to use the term, market actually but there will always be an audience or like a thirst for for people doing something individual and different like i I truly believe that like give it ai give it whatever i think people are still fascinated by that level of like human ingenuity that that makes something so distinctive even if you're working with a very similar palette even if you're working within the same set of constraints, right? Sometimes you put a record on, you put a track on and you can hear within like, you know, a few measures who made it. You just know. And like, can AI copy that to that, to that extent? Can, can that be replicated? Can that feeling be replicated? Can that level of creativity be replicated? I fucking hope not. I really do. Um, and I think there's, there's something about kind of human personality coming through into music that makes something more than the sum of its parts, I guess. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And if there's a kind of optimistic take on this, it's that AI maybe can help artists express themselves more fully without replacing them. But like, 
Okay, so I wanted to um, I wanted to ask about going into specifics about you know, we talk about um, small scenes and you know common competition like friendly competition between artists and you've talked a lot about you've referred to drum and bass a lot in this conversation. So I wanted to ask like in your practical experience of like these things, can you tell me a little bit about like coming up within that drum and bass scene? And also, I'm also interested in, in why you jumped to techno as well. But let's just start off with, yeah, like your kind of early uh, interactions in that sort of drum racing, which was extremely creative, by the way, that scene. I was very young when I, st- when I first started listening to that stuff. Like I think I said earlier on, I was about 15 or 16. I think that basically pretty much one of the first things that I heard that really caught my imagination was, was timeless. And then... I kind of dug more into that and like started going to like a local record shop that we had in Cambridge called Streetwise Records. And I went in there and like one of the first things I saw, like before I even like knew what Metalheads was, was, was that Skull logo that was also on the front cover of Timeless. And I was like, oh, so I started there basically and just discovered this incredibly rich world of, amazing music basically and was kind of hooked from that point on and I think I mean I tried to make music during those early days um I had a friend who had some bits of studio gear um and I attempted to make some stuff and it it was it was terrible basically obviously I never did anything with it um and it was around the time that I left school and started at sixth form college i basically just sort of stumbled upon a group of friends that were all into exactly the same thing as me and i met george and conrad who was also like one of the original members of comics and i mean this was very early 2000s and like when we sent off our first demos it was literally like a case of like we burnt cds and sent them to an address and then, like, very timidly, with my voice that had probably only just broken, basically, kind of called up and was like, oh, did you get a chance to listen to my demo, basically? I mean, it was literally like that. There was none of this. I mean, social media literally did not exist. I didn't even have a, a mic. Yeah, we're talking, about, we're talking about barriers to entry, right? That's a, that's a barrier right there. Totally. To- I mean, I, I, MySpace hadn't even been invented yet, basically. No, I mean, you know, I guess um, Mark Zuckerberg was still probably in his early teens at this point. So yeah, like a very, very different time. And yeah, like there, there were points certainly within drum and bass where it got very stagnant and uninteresting too. Um, I think around the time that I started to have any kind of success with it or started to break through, there was a kind of a fresh wave of creativity happening within it. And that was within the kind of, deeper more soulful end of things and this was around the time that most obvious examples were people like marcus intellects and caliber were coming through with like their first records and so this is like sort of roughly 2004 five ish is that right yeah something like that i guess um 
because what had come before that had, had gotten very stale as well. Yeah, right. That, that was my that's my understanding of it. Like, yeah, so there was up, up till about sort of 2000, 2001, it was great, great, great. And then there was a couple of years of really quite bad stuff going on. Yeah, totally. I, I would say even earlier than that, I think that kind of like, after I got into it, you had like a few like incredible years. And I suppose it was around the time that obviously like Fotec, Sourced OX, etc. They kind of went off the boil fairly quickly, let's say. Um, Sourced OX kind of disappeared. Um, Fotec went into like movie world. And then you had obviously like um, the no U-turn stuff. And what came after that, more importantly, I would say like Optical and Ed Rush's stuff. And that got distilled down into nothing, like pretty quickly. And so, yeah, like that kind of like coasted along for a little bit. And I have to say that I was kind of losing interest by that point. And then this kind of new wave of stuff started happening. Um, Me and my friends, because we were now old enough, we started going along to to Fabio's Swerve Nights, which was the kind of like epicenter of, of this stuff um, at the end on uh, West Central Street in London. And so we started going there and we were hearing stuff that was blowing us away week in, week out and going back to our studios and just like working as hard as we could to try and be part of this community that we saw every week, basically, when we were turning up there. That's really interesting, actually, because I mean... I went to Swerve a good few times, but wasn't definitely wasn't part of the scene. Didn't see myself as being part of it. But that was happening at the exact same time that the really sort of community, vibey element of forward was happening, like just across just across town, basically. And it's 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 mad. And again, I, it, it's really difficult to talk about this without you know trying to sound without sounding extremely nostalgic. But I just don't. I mean, those two things happening at the same time in the city is I, I can't imagine that happening now can you no 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 it's actually i mean it does sound nostalgic but i think it's like um it's like a combination of factors and like conditions that that make that possible and i think we've almost been been robbed of that now and like i'm not saying it's never going to happen again because i mean i also thought the same thing when I started to get very burned out with drum and bass, when, when all of that started to become a copy of a copy of a copy within this kind of like micro scene in DMB that I just mentioned. And I kind of like vividly remember like one of my last gigs as part of comics, like I was playing at fabric and I was just kind of like, I actually hate what I'm playing. You're standing there in front of, like a room full of people who are dancing and you're like, actually, you're not even there. You're just having this sort of like this introverted crisis within your head and just thinking about all the events that have led up to you being where you are now and what you're going to do next. And like when that happens, it's, it's time to do something else. And at the same time, I was getting blown away by a lot of the techno stuff that I was hearing. And this was kind of the tail end of the 2000s. I started to hear stuff like Samuel District, uh, stuff like Steep Archive, uh, the early Marcel Detman records, a lot of the kind of stuff that was kind of, I suppose, like 
based around hard wax and burkine at that point. Certainly, like the stuff that was coming out on Hot Flush at the time, there was something happening again. And I could like relate to it and it felt like fertile creatively. And like as soon as I started to experiment in the studio and write stuff like, I mean, it's before I even came up with the name Shifted or whatever. Like I was just trying to trying to make techno stuff, basically just exploring and like playing with like new palettes and sounds and whatever. And like I kind of knew that my kind of days making draw and bass was sort of done basically because I was enjoying this so much more because it felt fresh and artistically gratifying again. Just before we go on to this, actually, can I ask you to talk a little bit more about Swerve? Because that's something that's, we've talked a lot about individual club nights on, on the show prior to this, but we've never really talked about Swerve. So tell me more about it. Yeah, so um, Swerve was Fabio's night in central London. It started off at the Velvet Rooms and... I think I was, yeah, I was too young to ever go to the Velvet Rooms or just like too much of like a a little stoner to ever really kind of like kind of uh, drag myself away and like make the trip into London and do it. Um, but we started going when it moved to the second room at the end on West Central Street in London. And it was basically each night like Fabio would play and then he'd invite like two other artists someone would do the warm-up and then it would be like a kind of guest basically in between and like at the time it was kind of like a sort of who's who of kind of the deeper more soulful end and i'm really avoiding using the term like liquid funk here because it's terrible but that, that was kind of like what the what the music press were calling it um yeah, like Fabio had his Radio 1 show every week. And so our kind of weeks would revolve around Swerve on Wednesday nights and checking out what Fabio would play on his most recent like um, BBC show. And like, I mean, I think Calibre's definitely going through like a bit of a sort of revival, which has been great to see. Um, I've seen them like popping up on like even like a lot of these kind of like more like mixed genre festivals basically seems to be playing a lot now but like at the time like he was putting out his first records by um, Music Concrete and like like the early 12s for Creative Source etc etc and like beyond just like Calibre there was a huge kind of like buzzing little scene of producers doing like very exciting things that were just, it had gone back to sampling again, which I think was probably what was missing for quite some time um, before that. Okay. That's, that, that's an interesting observation actually. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. So, so that, just put that into context, like what was the, uh, where, where the music gone away and in, in, in that it was away from sampling. Yeah. So when you had like, what kind of attracted me to the to the metalhead stuff was like it was very much like really like a, a mix of that. You had like stuff that was obviously sampled, and then you had this kind of very technical synthetic 
element to it as well. And like, Ed Russian Optical, um, I'm going to use them as an, an example because it's probably the best one. Um, we're kind of making synth sounds and resampling them and bending them into new places and coming up with stuff that was just like wild. Like it sounded like it was from another planet. And like everything, this kind of like got co-opted over time and it kind of lost that feeling of fusion that it had before. Because I mean, like some of those early optical records that, I mean, they, they sounded like you were listening to jazz and like ska and punk and techno all at the same time. And before you knew it, you were just listening to like clones again, basically. And this kind of got very stale. And so when this, this kind of movement started, which is certainly what kind of like comics were attached to in the beginning. Um, you could hear that again. You could hear like what people were sampling. It became about like digging again and like trying to get like, try and be as creative as you can with like a, a jazz sample from 40 years previous or 50 years previous or like a funk sample or from anything soundtrack stuff like old, like KPM soundtrack records, anything basically, and repurpose it. And that kind of melting pot has always been what's interesting to me. It's always been recon the kind of recontextualizing something else, basically taking elements of something else and bending it into another framework and, coming up with something that's more than the sum of its parts. Like that is like where the kind of like bleeding edges creatively, as far as I'm concerned. And like that period around Swerve was definitely the high point for that. But of course that didn't last either. Like it, it became a few years and then it was just kind of like, yeah, it's a cycle, right? <laughs> it's, it's unavoidable. I think it's a cycle. Yeah. But let, let me ask you, um, what was the, crowd like at swerve i mean and i'm gonna sound really old and bitter now but for a start like no one had a fucking smartphone in their pocket it was like i just packed out every weekend and i honestly i mean i probably had some of the best nights of my life in there um in terms of like a a clubbing a clubbing aspect anyway or kind of music aspect just like i mean kind of young Londoners from across the board, basically. It, it didn't feel like it was any one thing. Um, it wasn't working class. It wasn't middle class. It certainly wasn't upper class. It was a real mix of people. And like you had people that would like, you know, come over from the States like for a week and that, that they'd spend like, you know, a night at Swerve and then maybe they'd go over to, movement at bar rumba which on which is on a thursdays which was like a different sound it was like more like the bristol guys etc and like brian g was doing that and yeah just like more of a feeling of community i kind of like felt like i knew everyone in there at a certain point i had a girlfriend around that time who lived up on on brixton hill and like i'd start spending a lot of time with her so we'd sort of like i kind of meet up with like breakage or like you know some of the other people that were kind of like around at that time and we'd have like pre-drinks and then we'd all kind of like roll down there and like 
again, it felt like being part of a community. Okay, so we were on to techno before I led us down that side path. So, uh, yeah, you, you were talking about getting into making it. Um, I, <laughs> I saw you tweet the other day that you came across some of your early techno tracks recently and were appalled by the <laughs> lack of quality. Um, I always had the, the, looking from afar, like the drum and bass scene was always viewed as like this, like unbelievably sort of techn- technically sophisticated group of people making, <laughs> making music. I mean, how, how far is that actually true? Was that true at that, at that point? Like, were you, were you guys making drum and bass, like the sort of technical wizards that you were perceived to be from the outside? Uh, not really. I mean, I mean, I guess there's a certain amount of like, there are things that you need to learn within like any genre, but like, I think it should always be vibe over production. And this has been like one of my problems with drum and bass in the past is the obsession with engineering, um, the obsession, the obsession with loudness and like how things cut through on a system when to be honest like i think the more you delve into that route like the the more kind of vibe gets sucked out of it uh quite often like and i still have this now like when i'm making music like i'll i'll do something fast and i'll be happy with it but i'll be like but the mix isn't there and then like 20 versions down the road I fucking hate it. I can't listen to it anymore. And it sounds worse than version one. And this like still happens now. But when like, you've got like an entire scene that's like based on that, it, it can't be healthy. It's like, you have that original spark of creativity that leads to you making something and leads to that kind of eureka moment in the studio when things click and, something stops becoming like, you know, some beats and like you trying to put sounds over the top of it to actually it being like, this is like a thing now that can be sculpted into a hole that goes out the window and it just be, becomes you kind of like chasing your tail for some, for some standards that shouldn't really matter basically. Um, and yeah, like, certainly with a lot of my my older techno stuff and this could be because i was going through like a big folder of stuff that i'd never actually decided to put out there was probably a good reason for that and like i do think like i mean you 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 have to you sit in the studio and i would say that like one in every 10 tracks that i make will end up coming out and like back at that point it was probably one in every 20. You just have to fucking make a lot of shit to sort of stumble upon things that are worth putting out into the world. And I suppose this comes back to what you were saying earlier on about things being good enough. Well, like good enough is not fucking good enough. It's just not, it's not just fucking like, well, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it might be from your, from your manager's point of view, it might be like, well, this is fine. This is going to like fill a little hole in your schedule. And it's something for me to approach promoters with, but fucking hell, like it's a stain on your discography forever. 
It just is. You can't, you can't get rid of that. And this is something that I've found recently. Like I'm, I've started like a new project and like, I'm kind of putting a lot into that now. Um, and it's kind of slowly becoming well, quite quickly becoming far more important to me than, than my stuff has shifted, which is like more kind of purest techno stuff. It's, it's the baggage that you pick up along the way, the bad decisions that you've made, um, that fucking remix that you shouldn't have accepted that like, you know, that 12 that you did because I, I hate those ones. Yeah, totally. That, that, that 12 you did because you were getting stressed about not being booked as often. And like to start off with like a clean slate is like really attractive to me at this point. Um, I guess in the same way that it was when I was like almost 30 and, and moved to Berlin. And this is certainly like, I mean, the whole kind of like faceless anonymous techno thing was like definitely like a thing around that point. And I was definitely one of the artists that kind of took advantage of that. And like, I didn't really give a fuck about people knowing who I was. I just didn't want them to associate it with anything that I'd done in the past. Um, I wanted a clean slate away from bad decisions and like, records that i'd rather not have released it's funny because actually comics had a really good reputation uh at that point Uh, and just generally speaking still does um and the album that came out was was great and i think um it's very easy to get sort of caught up in your own perception of what you're doing as an artist right absolutely i mean that that's that's 100 percent true um but you have to be happy in yourself, right? You have to be like, I mean, that's what it comes down to. And, and I suppose with comics, I mean, with me and George, these collaborations, like being in a band, you're always on a timer, to be honest, because you kind of go off in your own directions, personally, creatively, like, same as any relationship it's it kind of fits a time doesn't it it fits like a time and headspace that you're in at that point and that's like when you're working with someone else or even when you're working with yourself like i think i think you have to know when it's time to move on and have to know like when it's time to reinvent yourself i guess yeah i mean so so george went on and did sort of house and techno stuff as well didn't he as Endian some really great stuff actually so did you guys never work together on that kind of music um no not really um beyond some kind of like really sort of like early attempts at doing some 4-4 stuff nothing that ever came out that's for sure um and yeah like I think George should have pursued that more I think he was like I think he was really good at it actually yeah 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 absolutely he certainly like persevered with with the drum bass thing and i think i still think you can hear a lot of like the early stuff the early comic stuff just with what he's doing now personally he had like he was far more musical than me um and i think that kind of aspect of musicality um 
it was almost 100% from him. I knew drum and bass much more intimately than him and was much more of a, a head and a collector and um, was kind of obsessed by learning production stuff and like sampling and whatever, basically. And that's kind of how we worked. Um, but yeah, like I think the, the kind of the musicality and I think ultimately kind of like what made comics comics um, was more George. And that's certainly like why when I decided to leave, I was like, you should just carry on under the same name. Um because that felt right, basically. So can you tell us anything about the the new project? Um, so the first release came out uh, just recently, like a couple of months ago, on the Trilogy Tapes, Will Bankhead's label. Oh, uh, hang on. Do I, should I know about this? Maybe I do know about it. What's the artist's name? It's Carrier. It's, uh, I'm doing music under the name Carrier now. So like, I've basically spent the last like couple of years, since around the end of the pandemic, I started working on, well, I did another, I did a shifted records, uh, which was written during 2020, um, which is very much like not a techno record. And through doing that, I guess similar to when I started writing techno after the drum and bass, I kind of realized how free and exciting and motivating it was to be able to do things completely with no restraint and so after I did that record, I, I basically was like, well, I want to start something new that doesn't have expectation around it, basically. Um, and that can pull on not just one, not just one corner of what kind of makes me tick musically, um, that can pull on all of it. Um, again, this kind of like, Fusing of elements is something really important uh, and something like, I think the, the shifted stuff is predominantly quite purist. Um, but I want to be able to do stuff that, that pulls on drum bass on, that pulls on ambient, that pulls on experimental on noise music on techno um, and becomes more than the sum of its parts. And I'm finding that really inspiring in the studio. Um, cause I have to say like towards the end of my time in Berlin, I mean, I left Berlin in 2019. I, I was having huge writer's block and the real problems coming up with anything at all. Um, and I think my last kind of like shifted techno album, uh, you can hear that or at least I can. And so like, this to me has been yeah, like a massive boost in creativity. And like I say, just to be able to sort of let go of the baggage basically and the associations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, like you say, having, being able to sort of draw a clean slate for yourself can be extremely motivating. And I mean, from my own perspective, like I think if I've had problems over the years, it's with, motivation as much as anything else right just feeling like you're going around in circles and that just becomes a kind of self-reinforcing kind of process right where you just get more and more frustrated with it but then if you're able to allow yourself a bit of 
creative freedom and sometimes that means doing a completely new project then yeah it can be like liberating actually absolutely um i think it's just reinvention is key and like a lot of my favorite artists they've continued to do this be it under the same name or different names and they always take that piece of themselves with them um the thing that makes it individual and makes it inherently them you can hear it across all of their projects and like yeah like just not getting stuck in a rut and like the frustrations the sort of the mental games that that can play with you um when i can't write music it has a huge impact on everything else about my life i mean i've said this recently i think it was on twitter too i think it was like i think really like my kind of week or my day is like dictated by my success or failure in the studio basically it's like if i can't get if i can't get anything done then then i really feel like oh god i'm like who am i what am i if i can't even do this and i've been doing it 20 years then then what's the point? And, con- and conversely, when it does go well, it's the best feeling in the world. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you're kind of like skipping down the street. I feel like I'm 16 again. I still have that kind of like, yeah, that buzz that I that I had like the first time I ever got a record finished. It, it feels exactly the same. Yeah, I think um, like the observation that when a producer is able to kind of move around different styles but still sound like them, I think that's that's a really good sign. Yeah, that's the sign of someone who's really got something there. You know, so yeah, man, this has been great. Last, so yeah, the last question actually was kind of brings me on to that is like, I mean, you mentioned that you know your some of your favorite artists have that as a feature. So just tell me who they are and give, give me a couple of examples of who they are and, and why they're important to you. Uh, okay, so I guess. And it's a really obvious one. I guess a lot of people would name check this. Um, Fotec, 100%. I, I was I was obsessed by Fotec when I was 16. And like, certainly someone that like, when he's moved into doing kind of like more house or techno stuff, I'm like, maybe not so much recently, but like, he had a fucking good run of like taking his personality with him, basically. You look at someone like Luke Slater, um, like another massive influence. Um, Regis would probably be another really obvious one. Doesn't matter what he does, like from the kind of like the the early downward stuff, which is kind of like very kind of brutal, kind of like wall of sounds esque techno stuff to the stuff that is more kind of almost UK influence. This kind of like broken swaggering half tempo techno dubstep whatever mutations basically you can hear you can hear it's him and you can hear it's him when he moves on and does like an ambient record it's like it's like something about attitude and swagger basically that people carry with them yeah totally well listen guy this has been awesome man thanks for your time it's been great no worries enjoyed it yeah, that was shifted. What an interesting conversation. I hope we didn't come across too much like a couple of aging musicians moaning about stuff. I don't think we did, actually. I think we did a pretty good job of keeping it on track, keeping it constructive and objective. But it was a episode that I really enjoyed, actually. 
And as I said up the front, I am not only running out of battery, but also running out of vocal cords. I'm going to leave it here. I had a I had a plan to do a big monologue at the end of this episode, but it's just not possible today because I'm in quite a lot of pain, as I mentioned up the top. So I will check you. Actually, just remember to read my show notes this week because they are more extensive than usual. But I will see you back here, same time, same place, next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Let's go, wow.